1: Oh, Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC summer workout football, Trojan football, of course, heading into the 2018 season with the coach, Harvey Hyde. If you want to follow him on Twitter, you can do so at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhide.com. You want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Inside Troy. It's kind of a slow time. It's June, a little June gloom here in Southern California, but You know, they're doing some summer workouts and there are a bunch of questions you guys had about the team as we get closer and closer to Pac-12 Media Day and fall camp and all that stuff. So if you have any questions for us, you want it for Dan, you want it for Harvey, me, whoever, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you'd rather text or call, you can do that too, 424-254-9141. Leave us a text or a voicemail. We'll play it on the podcast and... Talk about whatever is on your mind with this USC Trojan football team. Getting closer and closer to fall camp. Closer and closer to opening weekend against UNLV. Coach, I'm excited getting this going. we got a lot of questions today, so thanks for coming on.
0: Well, thank you, Ryan. And uh, if you didn't hear from us last week, we want to wish you all – I hope you had a great Father's Day. Ryan and I certainly did, and we hope you did. And uh, now it's back to – Getting into the summer. It's now officially summer, which means it's still football year-round, and we're ready to go. So let's take some messages and calls and so on and texts and emails, and let's get started. <laughs>
1: yeah, a lot of ways to get a hold of us, Coach. We love that. We love we love hearing from everybody. This show's based on your questions. So whatever you guys want to talk about, whatever you ask, that's what we end up talking about. So. Uh, before we jump into those questions, wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. They've been helping us out for many, many years. Give them a call if you need tickets for anything, concerts, sporting events, you want to go to a play, you want to go to the theater, 1-800-888-7287 is the number, or go to their website. Now, we know this one works, SoCalTix.com, S-O-C-A-L-T-I-X.com. They usually have sctickets.com. And for some reason that wasn't working late lately, so I'm gonna we're gonna find out what's going on with that. But you can go to SoCalTixTix.com if you need tickets uh, to make sure. We'll let you know next week if there was just a a bl- glitch on the website or something. But SoCalTix.com will get you there, or call one All seven two eight seven. All right, Coach. I mean, do you remember back when you were coaching, kind of middle of June-ish? What was like going through your head? Is it just like? waiting for Christmas morning, you're waiting for fall camp to start. What was it like for you where your players are doing stuff, but you can't really do anything with them because it's, you know, it's the middle of June. What was this kind of time like for you?
0: Well, you know, a lot of people think it's a time you kick back and relax, but it isn't. There isn't really a kickback time. We do it a little bit different, or we did a little bit different than what some uh, universities do, like USC. They take the whole month of July off. We didn't do that. I gave everybody two weeks during the summer. I always made sure that I was uh, in the office most of the time. I took one week, then a couple of weeks off, then one week. I always was around to uh, be in charge of what was going on. Uh, we always had a defensive coach or two defensive coaches in the office, two offensive coaches in the office. We never were gone all at one time. We wanted to make sure our secretaries were never off at the same time. Our strength coaches were never off at the same time. We rotated it because we operated our football program year-round. Now, we took different breaks and so on because there's so many things that happen during the summer months that are so important. First of all is eligibility. You've got to make sure that everybody passes the faculty rep uh, is, and they're on the uh, eligibility list, and you can't miss something along the way as far as grade point average or courses or courses that he needed to take that didn't count towards graduation, all of these different things. So we continuously worked with the academic side of it. We wanted to make sure in recruiting, too, that everybody was uh, into it. No one was getting homesick. Uh, uh, You have to look at all these different things that are happening, especially from kids that are out of state and away from home for the first time. And then, of course, as a head coach, you're working on all the different issues, such as travel, making sure that you're staying at the hotel you want to stay at, where you want to work out, what time you want to leave, the, uh, the working with the director of football operations and whoever your uh, athletic representative is to make sure that you know everything is what you want to eat on the plane, what time you want to eat. I mean, these things are all done during the summer, too. And there's so much going on, especially with these camps now and recruiting. We used to have camps, too. I I think we used to have two weeks of camp. Now they have 100 weeks of camp. So (laughs) you you really, you know, you're you're never done. But uh, it was big. It was big. And you had to be on top of it. Even when I was gone on vacation, I remember we'd be at the beach. My wife would say, what are you doing? Because we didn't have cell phones. And we started to have cell phones. But I would sit on the pier with a stool. I'd borrow a stool from this restaurant or bar around the corner on a pay phone and just talk to the office all day, answer all my messages, tell my secretary what to do, who called in, what the assistant coaches wanted to do, who's this, who's getting rehabbed, who looks like they're going to play, all the different things. So really, you've got your mind working all the time on how you can get better. So uh, it's not a downtime for anyone not even an assistant coach if he's really involved because you've got recruiting and everything else and then of course you're thinking of the season and you're thinking about uh, all the things that you're breaking down in films and you already know all about if you're USC you already know all about UNLV and if you're UNLV you already know about all about UNLV and you you might take uh, some time Sitting on the beach wherever you go and, and read all these preseason magazines would you like to get all their opinion of and a lot of people say and coaches say well I don't care what they think but you do you actually sit down and you read them and and you find out what people think of you or what you're strong at or not strong at and you read this and sometimes you uh better yourself by saying you know I never thought of that or this or that so it's a long period of time, but it goes so fast, and all of a sudden season, the season's here, and then it's grueling. It's, it's never done. And, of course, right after the season, you've got the bowl games and practices and recruiting and now National Letter of Intent in December. So, you know, it's a busy time. But, again, you ask any head football coach, would they do anything else? No. They love what they do. Uh, they probably pay you to do the job. Because it's a continuance of what they've done all their life.
1: All right, coach. Uh, good summary and uh, recap of what the how you did things back in the day. Uh, every coach has different philosophies, and uh, you know we we see you know through, as the years go by what Clay Helton's philosophy is. Um, we got a bunch of questions. They're kind of all over the place. So there's a lot of different topics. We'll just be jumping around um, a little bit. Then we got one from Don. He said, "Do you expect?" USC to remain a run first teams a run first team after the first few games. If Stephen Carr uh, does not have a great year, do you believe the run game can be as productive as the passing game? JT is very very good and will show it this year. Tyler, you talk about Tyler Vons. We all know how good he is. Uh, Michael Pittman should have a breakout year, and Amon Ross St. Brown will bring toughness to the receiving core as well as incredible talent. I would be surprised if SC has a dominant run game. What do you think about what Don had to say, Coach?
0: Well, I hope they do, Don. Uh, I know that uh, there's been a, a long waiting for this. As far as far The philosophy hasn't been that. We all know that. Over the Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin, they loved to throw the ball around, and they were stat guys. You know, somebody had to catch 100 balls or 200 balls or whatever they had to do, and they're – Their whole philosophy is we're going to spread you out and have fun and almost make it a seven-on-seven game type of thing. And uh, the run came off of the pass. And I think gradually now Clay Helton, who is under their leadership, is starting to understand that you can't win championships without winning the line of scrimmage, both sides of the football, the offensive side, the defensive side. You've got to be able to be better than your opponent. And I think he's had to learn that the hard way. But I think he's learned it, and he understands it. And I think it's very important that the running game is very much involved in your offense as far as the defense worries about your, your running game. And it makes your defense better because you practice against the team that's running the football, too, that makes you tougher on the defensive front so that when you face a team that can run the football, you're more prepared for them. Uh, I'm not completely convinced as they say, we're a run team first until I see it. It's easy to say you are, but with running backs uh, like uh, like Carr, and I tell you, Ware had a good spring. I thought he really looked good in the spring, and Mali P.I. is a hard-running running back, and we'll see what happens with the rest of them. But their backs are good football players, and you got to utilize them. And uh, I don't know if they'll use their quarterback. I won't say which quarterback it's going to be, but who knows? into the running game more, but if they don't, then I hope that they utilize more of a two-back set and do that because you have to have two running backs where the defense knows that they have to play the run and not just forget the quarterback and stop one guy. So I I, I don't know. I I don't believe 100% yet that that they believe that. They say that because they want us to all believe that. But until I see that and the play-action pass going and the simplifying of, what they do, and you always hear me say, whatever you do, do it well. Do it better than anything else. If you only run one play, run it better than they can, than anything else. But you can't just jump around and do things, but you're not good at anything then. So make up your philosophy, be what it is, but I hope it's the run and the passing game. You always talk about it being equal, the stats and this and that. You know, that's good for to talk on TV and radio and press conferences, but... You got to be tough up front. You got to dominate the line of scrimmage.
1: All right. Well, thanks for that one, Don, and thanks for the answer, Coach. Um, our friend Tarek had a couple of questions. First one: What does Clay Helton do at the end of fall camp if all three quarterbacks have been good, but not great, and no clear leader has emerged? Uh, that's his first one, and I, you know, I guess maybe similar to what we've seen out of spring football, Coach, where. You know, People were good, but they weren't great, and there was no clear leader. If JT Daniels comes in and it's the same sort of thing, what direction do you think Clay Helton would go?
0: First of all, you go to rehab. You put your head in a whirlpool, okay? (laughs) But it's going to be a long year. You better have an idea on what you're going to do, and you better hope that one of those quarterbacks that you recruited, you recruited, are the type of quarterback that's going to live up to the standards of USC football, whatever your philosophy might be. First thing I would say, if they're not the caliber of winning the Pac-12 championship, then you know you got to run the football. And you know you got to make it easier for them as far as being able to run the football where teams think they have to stop the run, where they're more effective as far as with the play-action pass and the keeps and the bootlegs and different things that eliminate all of the uh, throwing reads and all of the above that you have to do. So uh, the first thing, then, you've got to make sure that you're running the football and emphasize that early in camp so that if one of your guys are not the guy as far as throwing the football, I don't think the leadership portion of it is going to be lacking. I think J.T.'s a great leader. Matt can be a leader. Jack Sears. They've all had that role wherever they came from as far as their high school programs Uh, But you got to put them in a position where they can be a leader, and you don't ask them to do things they can't do. They've got to be successful at what they do, and that's your responsibility as a coach to find out what they can do to make them successful so the team feels and gets the confidence that one of them or the guy, all three of them could be the guy, to lead them to a championship. So you hope and you pray that one can do that, and if they can't do that, you're in a lot of trouble. But, again, it's your responsibility as a coach to do things that help them be good. And if it's running the football a lot, you have to do that. But you got to do things that bring out what they can do and utilize that.
1: All right. And he had one more question. Now, this is something um, we talked about with Dan Weber before. And I think we talked, too, about the team identity. So, Tarek said, Dan Weber had said the concept of a team identity Having an identity is overrated. Do you agree with that? And he says, I strongly disagree. Ask Urban Meyer and Nick Saban.
0: No, uh, I disagree with that. I think you have to have an identity because your team has to know what your identity is. They have to know who you are. They've got to know that uh, if challenged, we can do this. Uh, This is who we are. We're going to get off the bus better than you do. And if you want to fight us before the game, we'll do that too. You've got to have toughness uh, in your locker room. You've got to have toughness on the football field. You've got to have discipline. You've got to act like a football team. You've got to dress better than anybody else. you got to ride the bus better than anybody else. you got to ride the plane better than anybody, anybody else. You do everything to better everybody. That's our identity. We're better than you in everything we do. Don't try to compare with us because it isn't going to work. I think a team identity... We used to dress so sharp that when other teams saw us get out of the bus, they said, wow, I wish we could wear stuff tough like that. I mean, I would make sure that everybody recognized who we were, when we arrived, everything we did. When we left the locker rooms, we'd have our managers completely sweep the locker room. Everything was spotless, cleaner than when we got there. So when the custodians would go in for the visiting team, they would say, wow, nobody dressed in here, I guess. And that would get around. Every single thing we did, we wanted to do better than anybody else. Our towels went on the floor, our locker room. There was no tape on our field whatsoever. And if there was a lot of tape on our field, we policed it as a football team like they did in the service. We'd go from across the fields and walk and pick every single thing up there had to be because we spent more time on our football field than we did in our own backyards or At home. So I think you have to have an identity that we're better than anybody else in everything we do. And that's including on the field, too, whatever that identity might be. If it's going to be we're tougher than you, we'll out-gut you, we'll out-condition you, we'll out-hit you, we'll do whatever it takes. And I I really believe you got to have an identity. How can you say you don't have an identity? Dan, I love you, but buddy, you you got to, you know have what you call team pride.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I mean, I think th- there's lots of definitions of what an identity would be. Do you always have to do this or that? I think a lot of teams have to be flexible where most of the time you do this, but sometimes you do that. I think, you you know, we saw flexibility from from Nick Saban last year where, uh, you know, two years ago where they had a bunch of different guys start and then, you know, in the ch- national championship game at halftime, switching quarterbacks. I mean, I, I think – you can have an identity where, hey, we're a tough, hard-nosed defense or we run the ball for whatever it is, but you also have to have some flexibility, too. So that's probably, I think, where Dan was coming from. I don't remember exactly what the comment was that Tark was referring to, but I I would like to see um, – I mean, I, I think Clayton's had an identity where they don't do a lot of different things. Like, they, people want, oh, I want to see two running backs and stuff like that. Like, that's not their identity. They don't do that. You know, it's more of a spread team and – um you know, you're seeing more shotgun and more pistol. You're hardly ever out of, uh, uh, you know, under center, things like that. So I definitely think there's, you know, an identity there. I think some of the USC fans want an older, a different identity, an identity USC kind of used to have. And that, that's probably where some of this comes from.
0: No, you're right. And, I, and you hear me refer to their offense as 31 Flavors. Uh, you hear me say a little bit of everything, uh, you know, uh, you can get by with. But, uh, you know, Nick Saban – Looked like a genius making that change at halftime. Does it work for him? But if it didn't work for him, what would people be saying? So you got to look at it both ways. Yeah, he looked great at doing it. He did the right thing. He looked uh, great at doing it. But uh, if it hadn't worked, everybody would have said, why did he do that? Yeah. So, you know, if you're a football coach, it's uh, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. It is, if you get the W, you did the right thing.
1: Yeah, I think you're a guy like Nick Saban and maybe, you know, if you are a coach that's not as proven, could you do that because of the scrutiny, you know, because of that. Now Nick Saban would get scrutinized too, but he's Nick Saban. He's, you know, five national championships or whatever. I think you you know, you know understand that he can take a risk and he's, you know, and a lot of his success has been because he's not afraid to take those risks. He doesn't care if he gets second guessed. There was, you know, there's games he lost. He probably should have won that they second guessed him and stuff, but, you know he has his own And if he has a gut feeling like we got to make a change he does it so i think you got to give him credit for for those kind of things but
0: he does you're right Ryan. you know he does it his way yeah because now he he's he's able to do it his way he's probably one of the most powerful guys in football people listen to what he has to say i know they do within the state of alabama and you know he's the only one that can decide what the discipline is of his players they don't do that in the student body office or and the president, he decides what the discipline will be with his players. He decides whether they play or not because he is now, he is now that person in the athletic department, but you have to build up to that. It takes years to do that. And, uh, you know, if a media person asks him a question, he doesn't feel like answering, you know, he doesn't answer it. What are you going to do about it? Right. <laughs> uh, you got to challenge him? No, yeah. uh, he'll make you look like a fool because he doesn't care what you think. He he cares what he thinks and what he has to do to win football games and do the best thing he can do for his players. And one thing Nick Saban does, he doesn't get get influenced by what you think. He does what he thinks, and he can do that because of what he's accomplished. Now, other coaches can try that, and they can find out that their office key has been changed, okay? So, you know, it depends where you are and who you are.
1: Yeah, he's got the power to pretty much do whatever he wants. So <laughs> he can do it. Um, okay, we have a uh, kind of a, I guess, a frustration uh, being expressed from Guy. He says, I am quite frustrated to keep hearing that Clay Helton's teams do not practice anywhere near how Trojan teams once practiced under Pete Carroll. To me, this is a sign that Coach Helton is either a very slow learner or else rejects the concept of great practices making for great games. Another thing that troubles me is the, and coach, you just said this, the 31 flavor offense that we have continued to play since the days of Kiffin and Sark, all the way through to last year's offense under Clay Helton's offensive coordinator, whoever that may have been, T. Martin or whomever. Why can't such football savvy people clearly see that one, you need to practice hard to play hard and set up a series of strategic plays called with the intent to set up future plays. Why do we play without such rudimentary offensive st- uh, strat- st- strate- I almost said strategy strategy. and logic? Uh, that's from Guy.
0: Well, Guy, uh, you know, you hear me talk about this all the time. First of all, it's not uh, – uh, T. Martin's offense or Pentagrass's defense, you know, do you ever hear him say it's Nick Saban, it's uh, his coordinator's offense and defense? It's Clay Helton's offense and defense. Let's put the responsibility of where it's supposed to be. Uh, if he doesn't like what's being run on offense, he he's going he's gonna to let T. Martin know the same thing on defense. Otherwise, he's working for them and they're not working for him. So, first of all, I want to make that clear. Everybody keeps saying that. You know, T. Martin's offense and Pennegrass's defense all right good you can say they're the coordinators but as clay helps he wins and and loses by it his uh, career is dependent upon it so he better be in control of what people are doing on offense and defense and the 31 flavor thing is something we refer to because as i mentioned earlier keep it simple know what you're doing and i've always had a type of offense or defense and offense saying that if you do this, I do that. And of course, you can't stop everything I do if my players are better than your players. And eventually, if I go one-on-one with you and and I know what I'm doing, I'm going to have the edge. And I think if you do too many different things, you never get a pattern of what people are doing against you, and you never get the rhythm. And I think this is one thing you have to have on offense. You have to have a rhythm. You have to, And the kids got to know what the rhythm is. And the kids have got to know that, oh, they stopped the the eight route or the corner out if they can't do that, we'll come back coach and we're going to do the comeback or we're going to do something in the zone. Cover two coach hit the, hit the, hit the, you know, hit the between the safety and the corner. Did all these different things. They come off the field and they tell you what's going on. You don't tell them they know what you've taught them that if they do this, we're going to do that. Let's start doing it. And, uh, you know, you got to make them cover the entire field by balancing your offense so the backside can't close down on run because you got something to come around there in a, m- a moment, and we're going to take advantage of that if the backside is making plays inside. So I, I agree a lot with what he's saying, and I think that you've got to be able to watch what's going on during the game. and. And it becomes easy calling a football game. But if you jump around and do different things, you never have a pattern of what you're looking for if they stop this play. And the kids really don't get into a rhythm either of understanding. That's why I don't believe in a lot of rotation because if a kid is playing a lot, he understands what they're trying to do defensively. He might have been uh, beaten on a, a blitz or a stunt the first time, but if it's the same kid in there, he's seen this before, and he gets himself in a position to block. And same with the quarterback. And same with everybody else, the lineman and so on. So the simpler you make it, if you remember in the old days, we used to flip-flop the lines. The reason why we did that was to make it half as uh, difficult to remember who you block. You had a strong side and you had a weak side. And you had the same look either way. So the weak side, we used to call them weak side, they always say, saw the same look. They didn't have to have the tight end come their way and see a completely different look. So uh, you learned half as much as you have to learn now. And uh, I think that's really important. But, you know, I agree with uh, this gentleman. I think that the simpler you are, the more you understand your offense, the kids understand your offense, you have a rhythm, you have an identity, and you know what you're doing out there.
1: All right. Uh, Thanks, Tarek, for those questions. A little discussion about identity. We had our buddy John in Brea. Uh, He says, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the camps USC has been running on campus and the practice of inviting other coaching staffs to attend. I get that they are hoping for some reciprocation or they are trying to build relationships, but it feels like they are inviting the Fox into the hen house, especially considering how they're in a recruiting battle with the University of Florida for a highly ranked cornerback. Why invite their coaches? I don't think USC needs to invite coaches from other Power Five programs in order to get players to show up. Is this common practice across the country and at other schools' camps? John and Brea and Coach, I'll uh, I'll chime in real quick and get your thoughts. So this is you know a fairly uh, you know it's fairly new phenomenon. We've seen a lot of it. Um, it's not always like Alabama and LSU on the same you know. So having like USC and Florida, I get that can be a little bit strange, but the camp. So I was down at the elite camp, which only was about sixty people, and that was just USC coaches. So those were invited. Those were. That's the people that USC had offers to, or was thinking about giving offers to. Uh, recruiting very hard. When you're talking about inviting, you know, Florida to the Rising Stars camp, it's not the Rising Stars camp of the Pete Carroll day where that used to be the elite camp. This is now. I think there were 1,600, you know, players there. It's just, it's a money grab. There's a lot of people that come to it. So getting more coaches there is a way to attract more players. There, you know, most of the guys out, out there aren't like uh, power five guys. There's a, you know, there's a bunch of guys that were, but as far as being USC level or Florida level, the major, vast majority were not at that level. So I think, that in my opinion, it's probably the coaches kind of, Weighing well, we're we're having this camp to to raise more money. The more coaches we get there, the better. Um, That that's just kind of my thoughts on things. Uh, Get your thoughts, Coach.
0: Well, uh, I don't like it. I think somehow it has to do with some type of shoe uh, contract or something. I'm not sure if they all belong to the same shoe, Nike or whatever. But you know, why would you invite other other people to come onto your campus, see your campus, see your facilities? see what you're doing. I don't even believe in that in the clinics they have when you have them on campus. I don't, but that I'm sure it has something to do with the, with the overall shoe contracts or something that you'll get all these people on campus and, you know, and they all see who's wearing what shirt and what this and what that. I don't know, but I, I don't, I don't like that. I mean, I'm going to have my own camp where I can meet these kids personally talk to them, meet their parents, uh, do what I can do with them. And it's more or less, uh, this is something like an exposure deal. I don't, I don't know if you pay to come to it. Maybe SC puts it on and all these other coaches, uh, universities pay to come and evaluate the talent. I'm, I'm not sure what the whole thing is about, but uh, yeah, it is. And you see now also, on a lot of campuses, that uh, some Division Three schools are having them. I know the University of Redlands is having two or three of them, where Oregon, Utah State, UNLV, you know, ten schools or so, and go out there and evaluate all the talent in the Inland Empire. So uh, you know, it depends what the area is. So everybody gets exposure today, and it's not just Division One schools. It's Division Three. It's Division everything where. You know, uh, if you have a chance to meet a kid and he doesn't get a scholarship or say he goes to school, and he doesn't make it now with this new transfer rule, I mean, you don't know if you'll even have a team the next year. They all want to transfer. I mean, who knows what's going on? I mean, they're making it so easy for kids just to say, well, I think I'll go to this school next year that I, I don't know how you keep track of it. It's happening in high school right now. I mean. Kids, uh quarterback leaves one school, goes another. Another one goes there. They move around. I mean, I don't know how you keep track of who's going to be on your team. And, of course, the winning teams attract more players, and the better players all go to the winning team because they get more exposure and more times on television and more matchups and play against better players. So I don't know where we're headed, but uh, it's year-round stuff now, and I think it's too much. I think it's too much for the kids. There's no family type of getaway. There's no downtime, uh, no downtime for the coaches. Uh, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, it's how many times you have to see a player if you know he can play? I mean, my gosh, you must not know what you're doing to be able not to evaluate. I can watch one film, two films, or a couple of things on a kid and see what type of effort he gets, gives. Is he a 100 percenter? What's his speed look like? Does he have hands? Will he block anybody, or does he stand out there when the play goes the other way? He does nothing. I mean, you can determine this stuff. I mean, I don't have to see him 100 times. I mean, what is he going to do, improve overnight? One weekend at one school, the next week at the other? Please, I, you know, I think it's too much, and everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses.
1: That's what it's all about, Coach. Keep it up with the Jones. But yeah, there's there's just not a lot of downtime anymore. That's just that's the way it is now. It's a, it's no, very it's diff-
0: ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. Kids can't even go with their family somewhere because they're afraid they'll miss something and their rating will go down. I mean, come on, guys. Give me a break. If you're a great player, I'm gonna recruit you. Okay.
1: Yeah, and it's not not everyone does that. You know, you saw Sam Darnold didn't didn't get into any of that stuff. He wasn't with the quarterback gurus. He didn't do the seven on seven circuit and most of the camps and stuff. So he and it worked out okay for him. But there, you know, a lot a lot more people do it than don't. Um, yeah,
0: it's ridiculous. It's too tough on you guys too. Whether well, I tell you what, you have no downtown now. You got your staff everywhere traveling, yeah. having to do this, going here, going there, doing that after a while, I think, man, man, don't you have a, aren't you married? I mean, what's the deal here? I mean, let's have a, let's give the kids a rest. Let's give them a chance to rehab up and get energy and want to look at a football, uh, football again. I mean, they're around the, their teammates more than they are their family. And after a while, you know, you see, you don't see always the good things in people. You see the bad things. Yeah. So hell's belts I mean, please excuse me if you're a parent out there that's visiting every weekend and you're calling it a vacation.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it it's definitely tough. Um, but th- I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it changes. But for right now, uh, the majority of kids. Are doing, yeah. All right, we got a couple more, Coach. Uh, this is from our buddy Nick in Cyprus, uh, Big Nick, twenty one USC from the P. He says, "Question, Coach, since Ryan did a three misses in recruits." Since covering USC. So I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second. Who would be your top three guys USC missed on that you think could have helped USC or even give us a list of the UNLV kids you missed that you regret losing fight on from Nick. So what he's referring to is I did a piece uh, last week, the top three Trojan misses of the 21st century. So this is where recruiting misses and, you know, this is my opinion, just the ones that were to me, the most impactful, not just like in my, in my mind, it wasn't just about you missed on a guy that was like a three star that ended up being a Hall of Famer. This is more about it was going to be a big deal on signing day, and then they were a big deal in college. So the guy I'll mention my guys, and then coach, if you have any thoughts on that, and then if any you could talk about your UNLV guys. I put DeAnthony Thomas number one, who was a longtime USC commit, and then switched a couple of days before signing day after an official visit to Oregon, went to Oregon. Um, then Deshaun Jackson, uh, who didn't really want to come to USC because they had a five-star guy in Patrick Turner, but obviously Jackson was uh, way better than Patrick Turner. And then we, we put uh, well, I put Manti Teo and Vontez perfect at number three just because that year, those were the two top inside linebackers in the country. One was committed to USC. One was a silent commit to USC. USC didn't get either one of them, and they also lost Four linebackers to the draft that same year: Brian Cushing, Clay Matthews, Ray Maluga, and Kaluka Maiava. So, because of that, that was a huge; those were huge misses to me because they needed linebackers. They missed on the top two, and then the guys they got: Frankie Telford never played; Jarvis Jones had a neck injury, transferred, and Marquis Simmons ended up having uh, 17 career tackles. So, they needed a huge recruited class for linebackers. Missed on the biggest two, and the guys they got, none of them really did anything. So. Those were my three, but I also mentioned guys like Jalen Ramsey, Eddie Vanderdose, Andres Pete, uh, Charles Nelson, um, Percy Harvin, Kenny Clark. There's some other guys too, but anyone's kind of stand out to you, coach, and then maybe, um, you know, guys, any guys that you missed out, out on UNLV you thought you had a really good shot at and just didn't get, and then they end up being really good.
0: Well, I tell you, you picked some good football players there they missed out on, DeAnthony Thomas, and, you know. Sean Jackson. I mean, yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I thought the, the Anthony Thomas was a Trojan. I thought I never thought Jackson was a Trojan. I don't think he wanted. To, I think he wanted to get out of town. But boy, could he play! I agree with you on Manti Te'o. I thought he was going to be a Trojan. And perfect man, I'd love to call him Coach Burfict. <laughs> I mean, he's my type of guy. I mean, he got a lot of penalties and so on. But I'd get say this guy was a football player. <laughs> Wasn't he a football player? He covered sideline to sideline, and he reminded, me, he reminded me of Dick Butkus. I don't know how many people remember that. You're all too young. But when Butkus tackled you, he didn't want to tackle you. He wanted to hurt you. And he was an All-American at Illinois. And I mean, he didn't tackle low. He tackled high where you could break your neck at the same time when he threw you to the ground. Well, Burfick's that type of player, and he really had to control himself, and he got in trouble, where he lacked control sometimes of his enthusiasm, and that hurt him as a player, but he's a great player. And uh, Galen Ramsey, I have to, you know, they had Galen Ramsey. I thought that was a done deal. The last minute Florida State came in and took them. Uh, He's a great player. He's Jacksonville, a first-round draft choice. I mean, what a super player, but at least they're on the right guys. Let me tell you, you know, when you lose players like that, at least you're on the right guys. Yeah, and and that's what you got to look at. Were they on the right guys? Yeah, they lost them, but were they on the right guys? They were on the right guys. So you're not going to get all the right guys. They got some of the right guys, but these guys are difference makers. These guys are the top that make uh, that you don't want to play against them if you don't get them. So uh, they played against them. So uh, all, those say guys, yeah. you, yeah. all those guys, yeah.
1: They played against all those guys.
0: Yeah, so I'm, I'm telling you, you got a good group there. Now, as far as UNLV, you know, there's a lot of players I would have liked to have gotten that I didn't get. I didn't want to get all the players. I just wanted to get my few, okay? My, my share. And what I meant by that, at UNLV, you know, be realistic. Going against to to UCLA, Notre Dame, uh, these schools, USC, UCLA. Was something I did, I recruited the same people they wanted because they can't take everybody. And occasionally I would get a kid that wanted to get out of L.A. Or I knew their coach or I knew their equipment guy or I knew somebody that would or I had coached another family member. Okay, that they knew I'd take care of them and this was a good place for them as far as out of L.A., close enough for their parents to attend the games, be a part of something new, and come in and be a a big fish in a small pond. Okay? And I did do that with a lot of players. I mean, we had some players that went high in the draft and played many years in the NFL. But, of course, you know, uh, we didn't get the the type of what you said. I did in one or two players, such as Reggie Farmer and uh, Randall Cunningham and – Uh, icky woods and a kirk jones and a
1: you know yeah we
0: got some but not the numbers but then we built around that because eventually when they saw we'd get a kirk jones we'd be texas and ucla on him a running back out of poly all of a sudden other kids took notice to that they said wow he's going to unlv and we'd get two or three Maybe not five stars like Kirk was, but we get some three stars out of it or maybe one four-star because they had played with him. They knew who they were. We'd pick up other couple of players out of poly because of it. So it was great. Like when I was a junior college coach, you know, we were pretty good and had great relationships. So when we took a junior college player, and I took a lot of them when I first went to UNLV because we weren't very good. They weren't just junior college players. I can give you their names. They're all first-team junior college All-American. I mean, they came in and made a difference. So I was very lucky with the junior colleges because I knew the junior college coaches. And in a way, they wanted me to be successful so they would have an opportunity to be a Division One football coach too because I was the first to ever do that. So I got great players because of their help. And uh, they knew I'd take care of those players. So there's a lot of reasons you get great players. But, hey, I lost a lot of great players. But I remember the players I did get.
1: Yeah, you got some good ones. So those are the ones that are good to remember. Um, All right, we got one last thing. Uh, This is from uh, Marcel in the San Gabriel Valley. He says, I rewatched USC's game versus Notre Dame in South Bend. With Matt Barkley at quarterback, it appeared to me that Lane Kiffin called a great game and kept the Irish defense off guard. I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember. Um, do you believe our current offensive, uh, offense or of strategy is to pound the ball, mix it up, or what is our offense, offensive philosophy? Where, where does USC rank in the conference as far as offense goes? And lastly, who is under more pressure from the alumni, Helton or Harbaugh? Marcel and San Gabriel Valley. Man, that's kind of all over the place. So I, I don't really remember what was going on in that game. I'd have to go back and, and watch. Um but maybe talk about the offensive philosophy a little bit and then uh where the offense ranks, and then if, if Helton or Harbaugh are under more pressure.
0: <laughs> well, I think everybody's under pressure, okay? Because you put the pressure on yourself. I mean you you know what's at stake, okay? you know, at special universities such as USC or Michigan or Ohio state that they, they're not going to stand for it. So yes, the media can put pressure on you. The alumni can put pressure on you, but no one puts as much pressure on you than yourself. So, uh, I think they all have great pressure. I think, uh, they're both the same as far as Michigan and USC, uh, Michigan, uh, uh, is more isolated. Uh, there's not as many things going on back there. So they write about probably Michigan more back there than they do USC because USC has to share the front page with all the other teams in town, UCLA, the Rams, so-and-so on. But I, I, I think they do it their way. I know that Harbaugh does this his way, and that's why I keep saying for Clay Helton to do it his way because you only get one shot at a great job like this. I mean, this is a lifetime dream come true. So you don't want to mess it up. You want to do it right. So like I say all the time, do what you have to do for the football program. Don't be afraid to to make decisions. It's not a a vote process or, uh, you know, a meeting. It's what I have to do to win and do the right thing for the kids in the university. And I hope Clay is doing that, because I know the other coaches are certainly doing that too. As far as the philosophy on the offense, uh, I really don't, know what it is you hear me talk about that uh it uh one week it's this or one week it's that uh, because of the great athletes playing on the offensive side of the football especially the skilled kids and i hope the offensive linemen because they're trying to get the best they can you're going to have stats you're going to score points uh, because you have great players if you had great players and you didn't score points and didn't know what you're doing man you're in trouble so they score points, and they win their share of game. sometimes it's too close that's what we're considering that's what everybody's probably worried about is why aren't we beating better like teams like why couldn't we beat Washington State? Yeah, we had some injuries, yeah, we had a short week, but we should beat Washington state, and I agree with that philosophy. I agree you've got to be able to you know go through things that are tough like that and get them done because you're u s c but, you know, you've got to be able to have a philosophy and you've got to have the identity and you've got to have the toughness. You've got the best athletes. You know, John McKay used to say, you know, my ex is bigger than your O." old. Now, my, if my ex is bigger than your O, and we don't screw them up, then who's supposed to win Saturday? We are. So I think that uh, is what you do in recruiting. And after you do your recruiting, obviously, you put them in a position where they can be successful. Don't take the athletic ability out of them. Put more of an opportunity for them to exceed at their athletic ability. So I think that's what the philosophy should be. I don't know exactly what they do offensively and defense. I know what they do. They're going to attack you. They're going to try to play on your side of the line of scrimmage. He's uh, afraid. He's not afraid to take a chance. Sometimes you get get big plays on him because the matchups just force you. You can't do uh, what when they put their best guy on one of your guys that can't run with you or their corners can't play man or whatever. But you know what the problem is right away, but you identify it. That's why you got to cover up your weaknesses in Pentagrass's type of defense.
1: All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. Man, the topics were kind of all over the place today, but uh, it's June. You know, what are you going to do? There's not a a whole lot going on. We'll uh, go check out some more of these summer workouts, see what JT Daniels looks like. I'm on Ross St. Brown and all that. But they're just all getting ready for fall camp. And uh, uh, I think the USC fans are ready to see what this team is going to be. Is there going to be a big big step back without Sam Darnold and uh, some of the leaders that left this team from last year? There's a lot of talent. And uh, I, I think some of the fans are concerned, Coach. They're just not sure which direction this team is going to go. There is, I think there's a lot of upside, but people see the potential for some downside too. So they're just really anticipating what it's going to look like this fall and then once the games get rolling.
0: I think what you have to do is get excited about the football season. Get excited, get excited about the players and the opportunity of what the Trojans can accomplish. You got to go on the practice field, knowing you're good. You got to go out there, believing in yourself. And no matter what the schedule is or who ups, who's up next, as far as who you play, you got to go out there with the attitude that they're playing on our field. It's our acreage. Let's take it back home. Let's take our wins home and let's play one play at a time. And, Don't worry about what everybody else thinks. And whoever the starters are, represent our whole whole team uh, whenever you're on that field. And uh, if you have better athletes and you don't have turnovers, you don't make mistakes and so on, your chances are to win. Because I'll tell you this, and you know this, I say it every year, there isn't a better roster in the Pac-12 than USC. Now, they might be individual players here and there, but when you look at the entire roster, there isn't. And I'll say that again coming for this 2018 season.
1: All right, Coach. Uh, great talking with you. Great hearing from all of the fans out there. And keep sending in your questions. We love chatting about all this stuff. It keeps the show going throughout the entire off season, And uh, a lot of fun. So thanks again, Coach, for coming on.
0: Well, thank you very much. Everybody have a great week, and we'll be back with you next week with more Trojan football.
1: Sounds good. All right, the Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks to Southern California Tickets for being our sponsor, and thanks to all of you for listening to our little show. Uh, this is Ryan Abraham. I'm the host, and we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.